appreciate that. We are starting a new series this morning, and if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, just look in the chair rack below you or right around you, and there should be one, and we'll be on page eight, right near the beginning. Uh, in that Bible, in your chair rack Bible. And we're going to get there in just a minute. I do encourage you, as Pastor Marvin mentioned, next week, uh, Cane's Donuts. Uh, there's, there's really only two words you need to be encouraged for Cane's Donuts, and they are maple and bacon. Um, and they are together in one donut. And it is amazing. Uh, but we're just doing this, look, we, wanna, we know the last couple of years have kind of pulled us apart so we are trying to find ways to just get us face to face instead of you staring at the back of somebody's head uh, on a Sunday morning. We want to get you looking at each other and uh, sharing with each other. So that's just one way to do it. We're going to do several more throughout the year just to try and continue to build some community here at Mount Hope. How many of you know what I mean if I said I came back from shopping at Demoulas? All right, a lot, right? But you know there's no store around here with the name Demoulas on it, right? There is, I think, one. I think, a, I, don't, I think they actually changed the name of the last one. It was up in New Hampshire. Uh, but you know what I mean, right? You, know, you went to Market Basket, right? You were shopping at Demoulas. How many of you know what I mean if I said I'm going in Burlington and we're going to get on 128 and we're going to go, you know what I mean? I mean 95, right? But we're getting it. You're still calling it 128 for some reason. There are these things that around us that have a backstory. And when you understand the backstory, you know what you're talking about, right? The what happened in the past often informs what's going on in the present. We probably know that in New England more than any other place. We love our history. We love our past. But the truth is, any place in life. What happens in your past informs what's in the present. There's a, a big, I think, um, connection or following of origin stories lately, the, that term, right? Even in like movies and comic books, you see them retelling or telling the origin story of certain characters, whether it's where the Joker came from, how he became the Joker, or how the Incredible Hulk became the Incredible Hulk, or how Spider-Man became Spider-Man. It's all, what's the origin story? What happened? What brought them to that place? And I don't know if one spurred on the other, but it's not just in the comic books. It comes into real life where things like 23andMe and Ancestry.com and all of a sudden very, a lot of us are really interested in what's my origin? Where did I come from? What's my past? What's informing maybe me from my past? Finding Your Roots is a popular PBS uh, series that's on where they take celebrities and they kind of look into their past and then they reveal, here's where you came from. There's something within us that wants to know that. And I actually think there's something within us that, that's good. We should understand. We have to understanding of where we came from. We want to, for the next several weeks at Mount Hope, between now and Resurrection Sunday, uh, now and, and Holy Week and Easter, we want to take a deep dive into part of Christianity's origin story and look at the life of Abraham. Abraham's story is covered in the Bible in Genesis chapter 12 through 25. 
And, but throughout the New Testament, it often points back to Abraham. Often you'll hear Abraham talked about as the father of faith. Uh, in fact, the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the first verse of the New Testament starts off like this. And it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That right at the first verse of the New Testament, it says there's a connection that Jesus Christ, who, who this gospel is about to open up the story, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension, about to tell that story. Well, where does it start? It starts back in Abraham. And it's important. This is part of our story as Christians, what goes on in the life of Abraham, because Abraham is continually looked at as a man of faith. And really, the start, in many ways, of people who follow God in faith. And if you're a Christian, if you're someone who follows the Lord, then you have to be a person of faith. In fact, if there's one thing that I would say the Bible talks about is got to be like kind of in the DNA of every follower of God, you got to have faith. It's got to have that trust in God. Hebrews chapter 11, which we'll look at in a few minutes, is called the hall of faith. And it lists people throughout scripture that trusted and had faith in God and makes the point that if you are going to be a follower of God, you're going to have to be a person of faith. You're going to have to be a person who trusts. And so we're going to look at Abraham as a bit of an origin story, but specifically as him as a person of faith and how it informs us as people of faith. We're going to look at different parts of his story. And this morning, I I got one idea I want to talk about with you as we look at the beginning of Abraham's life. And here's the idea. Faith goes before it knows. Faith goes before it knows. And we want to unpack that a little bit. So Genesis chapter 12, we're going to start there. And as we get in there, let me give you a little bit of a setting where we are in salvation history, in the Bible story. We're, I told you it's page eight. We're way at the beginning. All right, this is the start of it. Not much is that. We're about three millennia before Jesus comes on the scene. And we're at the start of things. So Adam and Eve has happened. Creation story we're given. Noah, the flood we're given. And right before Abraham's story comes on the scene, we have the Tower of Babel, and that happens. And and there's this humanity says, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And and God says, no, you're not. And, and, And he tears the tower down and separates people and languages. And then we're still waiting what is going to be God's plan to fix what's broken. What's going to be God's plan to restore relationship between sinful humanity and a holy God. And that's where a man named Abraham comes on the scene. His name is actually Abram um, when we meet him. Uh, And God later will change his name. And what my son calls the greatest boss move God makes is when he changes someone's name. He's just like, you were Simon, now you're Peter. Uh, And he will take Abram and make him Abraham. And he has reasons for that. And we'll get to that in a few chapters, what he does. Uh, But he's, so Abram and Abraham, you might hear me use interchangeably. But when we meet him in chapter 12, when God first approaches him, his name is is Abram. And here's how it starts. Chapter 12, verse 1. We'll read the first three verses together. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is really, that last part there is really the first picture we have that God is saying, look, I got a plan. It's going to start with you, Abraham, but it's going to go to the whole earth. In fact, when we look at global outreach and what we do at Mount Hope when it comes to sending people around the world to tell them about Jesus, it really starts here in Genesis chapter 12, where it says all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you, Abraham. And we'll make the connections of how we connect to Abraham as we go along. But the first point is this, when we talk about faith goes before it knows, it's this. If you live by faith, God will ask you to leave what is familiar to go to what is unfamiliar. That's the first part of faith. Part of faith is, and you follow in God, that's what it's going to be. In fact, you just saying that you're going to make Jesus Lord of your life is going from a place that's unfamiliar. I'm going to run my life. I'm going to be in control. I'm going to call the shots to a place that's unfamiliar. God, I'm going to let you call the shots. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to let you call. That's a place of going from the familiar to the unfamiliar. And that's what faith is. You're constantly going to have to be challenged to leave the familiar and go to a place of unfamiliar. Unf- is it a word? Go to the place of unfamiliar. That doesn't sound right. Um, but you know what I mean. You're going to go to that place that's not comfortable for you. God will call you to do that. I don't think we like it usually. How many of you like having to go to a place when you don't know where you're going. There's probably a couple. Yeah, I see a hand here or there, but I don't see many. Most of us don't. Most of us say, someone says, come on, we're going to go. You say, where are we going? Right? I hated it when I was a kid, and we get in the car, and I'd say, hey, Dad, where are we going? And his answer every time was, wherever the car takes us. <laughs> and I hated that answer and I say it to my kids too. I've said it to my kids too. And when they're young and they don't have a choice and they don't have a say, you know, I put them in their five-point harness and they're going, you know, they're just going to go. Then they get a little older and they still don't have a choice, but they have a say and they say a lot. Where are we going? When are we going to get there? Are we there yet? How much longer? He touched me. She hit me. All this, right? They don't have a choice, but they have a say. But, and they go, right? And we're going there together. But here's, here's when it really counts, is when they get a little older, kind of the age my kids are now, some of you might have teenagers, right? Where they have a say and a choice. You know, I, I don't want to go. Where are we going? I don't want to go. I can stay home, right? And, and, and the real test is when they have a say and a choice, but they still go. And they still get in the car. Because what's that saying? That says, I trust you. That says, I, I trust that where you're going to take me is going to be a good place to go. 
right? And what they do in that moment or what they don't do in that moment communicates something about our relationship. And that's the same thing with Abraham. God says, leave. Leave the place of your family, leave the place where you're living and go to a place that you don't know. Go to a place I'm going to show you, but I haven't shown you yet. And here's the Here's where the rubber meets the road. Will you go? Because Abraham has a say and Abraham has a choice. And what will he do? Let's look at verse four. Verse four says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So Abram went. God said, go. And Abram went. Went And what we see here, I believe what we see is we start to see a relationship that's formed of trust and of faith. See, what was broken with Adam and Eve was relationship of trust. Adam and Eve said, we don't trust you, God. We believe our better is better. And God says, I need someone who will trust me. And he goes to Abram and he says, will you go? And Abram went. He trusted God. Every relationship that we have, and certainly the relationship with God, is built on trust. And when that trust is violated, the trust needs to be rebuilt or there's no relationship. It's the same with people. It's the same in a marriage. It's the same with God. That it's built on trust one another. And Abram trusted God when he went. And so if you live by faith, you trust that the unfamiliar place God is leading you to is better than the place where you're already settled. So faith goes before it knows, but it's not going blindly. It's not going on wishful thinking or maybe, it's going trusting in God. That where God is leading is better. Better than what I could think, better than my knowledge, better than the choices I could make. Abraham had all the reasons in the world to stay where he was. He was comfortable. That's where his family had settled for a while. Honestly, there were temples where they, he was comfortable worshiping pagan deities. As far as we can tell, Abram's family worshiped the lunar moon god. That's what that part of the world tells us. Every time we excavate it, archaeological digs in Ur and Haran, there were two temples to the moon god. They worshiped in temples. There was even evidence of human sacrifice that took place there. Abram was comfortable in his pagan worship there, and then God comes on the scene, the true God, and speaks to him. He says, go. It would have been easy for him to stay. He's 75 years old. Who wants to move at 75 years old? You don't want to leave. You don't want to pick up and go, but he could have stayed. But it says, Abram went. He followed the Lord's direction. Abraham went because he had faith. The next, one of the other places that talks about Abram I mentioned is Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, that's way on the other side of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, New Testament, so we're moving up in history 3,600 years or so. Here, Hebrews chapter 11 is on page 1007 in the chair rack Bibles there. 1007. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, 
as the writer of Hebrews is trying to talk about what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ and holding up faith and this aspect that's got to be in every, every Christian's DNA, the writer says, by faith, Abraham, when he called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, and look at these words, even though he did not know where he was going. Didn't have to go, could have chose not to go, but he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Verse nine, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Jacob, Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Jumping down to verse 13, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. So who is God not ashamed to be called their God? It's these people of faith, these people who go without knowing, who step out believing that, God, what you have for me is better. What's that look like in life? Well, a lot of times it looks like, well, God, I want to do this, but I know you're telling me that I should do this. Faith says, God, I'm going to do what you're telling me to do, even though I may want to do something else. I may want to act a different way. That's what faith and trust is. That's what faith and trust is from a child to a parent. That's what it is from a person to God. But let me talk for a few minutes about the obstacles to taking action like this. Because I think there are a lot of obstacles that we encounter in moving from a familiar place to an unfamiliar, but I think they're different depending on what stage of life you're at. If you're a high school student or a college student, you're starting out in life, I think the obstacles are different than if you are later in life. And I just want to talk to you about that because I think God, no matter where you are, is going to call you out to go from a familiar place to an unfamiliar. And he's going to do this consistently and constantly throughout your life. It's not, sometimes we think about faith and we think, well, I believe in God, so I have faith. No, faith is a walk. It's a constant walk with God. It is a dance where we are, God is calling us to a place and we say, go, and we take a step in that direction. And it's a constant moving and trusting God. And wherever you are in life, it's going to look different because maybe you're in high school or you're in college and you're just starting out. Your questions, the things you're wondering about, the things you fear are different than a person at the other end of the age spectrum. You're starting out in life and you're wondering, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do after high school? Am I, do I go to college? Which college? Where does God want me to go? What's the place the Lord would have me to go? Maybe you're traveling away from home and you're scared about that. Or maybe you're staying at home and you're scared about that. But you have all these things in your life that you're not sure about. You wonder, am I doing the right thing? And an obstacle that you will face is the crippling fear that you're going to make the wrong decision. This paralysis of analysis. 
You're going to be in that place, and God's going to call you to do something unfamiliar, and you're going to have to step out trusting that God is leading you. You may have to step out in contrast to other people around you who aren't following God and who are making very different decisions. And you're going to have to trust that God's better is better. And you're going to have to trust and have faith that where God is leading you and how God is directing you in the end is going to leave you in a better place. Take steps out. Thinking about school, I was thinking about my own schooling and, and my family, I think, thinks I'm a professional student at times. I just love being in school. But if I think about the different times that I was in school, when I went to college, I, I left here, Bill Ricker, Massachusetts, and went to Springfield, Missouri. And unlike a lot of kids that I think is a good idea to go visit campuses and things like that, I had never been to Springfield, Missouri. My first day stepping on the campus at Evangel University was my first day of classes or whatever at Evangel University. I never saw it. I never, there was no website. I didn't know what it looked like. I was shocked to find there were barracks there that they had classes in. The heating was terrible. I'm not sure I would have gone there if I saw it, but... But I, believe, you know, but I believe that's where God was leading. And I, for some reason, that's where God was calling me to go. I had a friend of mine that was going. We packed up the car and we went. And followed the Lord spending and step, take a step of faith and go and trust that God's going to lead you in that place. Met my wife, Wendy, down there. And uh, after we graduated, I said, well, I, I think I'm going to go to more school. And uh, so I applied to two different seminaries. One was the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary, which is in Springfield, Missouri, actually is on the campus of Evangel University. Very comfortable to stay right there. In fact, I got accepted there. I got a scholarship there. They gave me a good bit of money. It was going to be very comfortable to stay there. The other seminary I applied to was Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, which is here in Massachusetts in South Hamilton. I had never been there. It was more expensive, and they didn't want to give me any money to go there. And so where do you go? Well, we had felt that, well, God is calling us to minister in New England. We, we knew that. And it didn't make a lot of sense to us to stay out of New England for another four years or what turned into six years for me in seminary. Uh, And so we felt like God said, you know what, go to Gordon-Conwell and go there. And so the first day I stepped onto Gordon-Conwell Seminary was the first day I'd been to Gordon-Conwell Seminary as as a student, and I walked into my, our little one-bedroom, 800-square-foot uh, apartment that had half cabinets and an oven that was about this big and couldn't fit a full pan in it at once, and Wendy cried, and we, but we said, this is where God wants us to be, and, and the first day we were there, moving stuff in, first day, first day we were there, we're moving stuff in, one of a guy lives across the hall comes over and helps us, starts helping us move in. His name's Chris Perry. He works at Focal, which is a, was a uh, biotech company in Lexington at the time, right outside Hanscom Air Force Base. He found out Wendy was a biology major with a chemistry minor. He said, give me your resume. By the end of the week, she had a job. We never missed a paycheck. We covered all our bills, left Gordon-Conwell without any debt, and God provided and God provides. And, and uh, this is small things, right? I mean, some of you have much bigger stories. It wasn't leaving your, your, your state for another state. Some of you left your country for another country. And you, you had to learn another culture. And you had to learn another language. 
And you've got stories of how God provided for you. And God met you there. Looking at you, Valentina. Leaving Columbia at 16. Now God led you and you guys are leading this ministry and married. And many of you have those stories, right? Where God had met you and called you. Weave the familiar for the unfamiliar. This is God's call. This is the walk of faith. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're in midlife. Like me. Where are my people? Don't raise your hand. You don't want to have to raise your hand. But <laughs> us midlife people, and however you define that, somewhere in the 40s, right? One day you wake up and you realize you're 40. It's not the 40th birthday. That's not usually when it happens. You just turn 40 and you think it's no big deal. But then someday you wake up and you're like, that was a big deal. You, it just hits. There's all these studies that are done of, of our energy, of everything, and that the 40s are the nadir. It's the lowest point you hit in your life. It starts coming back up in the 50s, but you're in the 40s. You hit this low point. You realize you're 40, and a lot of things tend to happen. Uh, you know, you, you, you start to look at your life and you say, wow, there's more life behind me than there is before me. That's just statistically true. Right? You finished more of the race than you have left. You got an expiration date. You start to realize that. You're closer to the tomb than the womb. It's just true. I'm sorry to break it to you. Maybe you'll live as long as Abraham, but you probably won't. You know, things happen, and then things happen to you, and you realize, whoa, something's gone. You, you, maybe the first person you graduated high school with, you hear dies for some reason, and you're like, what happened there? Or maybe someone you graduated from high school with has their kid who graduates from high school or becomes a grandparent and you start doing the math and you're like, oh my gosh, that's possible. <laughs> and you start to realize that things are different. And then you start to take stock of where you are and you maybe think, oh, I thought I'd be in a different place here now than I am. Maybe you start to look and you thought, you always thought you had options. You were young, right? Hey, if I want to quit my job and start new, I can do that. Or I'm gonna, I can always join the military or I can always go just do something completely different. And then one day you wake up and you have a mortgage and you have kids that want to go to college and the military won't accept anyone over 39. And you're like, all your options have narrowed. And maybe despair sets in or maybe some other feeling sets in and you start feeling, you know, bad about yourself. You just start feeling depressed or captivated or trapped. And the obstacles that you face in that moment is you can become enamored and be tempted by an escapist mentality. You can become captivated by a hypothetical life instead of listening and embracing the place where God has put you right now. You can start thinking about someone else's life, and this is why. In the 40s, you see a lot of people crash and burn. You see people leave commitments that they made in their life, and they abandon them, and they make decisions, or they make changes, and you're like, where did that come from? And that can be an obstacle to following God to that unfamiliar place, because you just want to go where you want to go and you feel trapped and you want to leave and abandon you don't and, and you're not willing to see where God has placed you 
as something he's going to use to reach the people around you. I love what Tony Evans says, that God can hit a straight shot with a crooked stick. You may have made some bad turns. You may have made some decisions you wish you hadn't made. You may have ended up in a place you didn't think you'd end up, but God wants to use you right where you're at. God wants to call you to this walk of faith right where you're at. You know, Wendy and I, when we talk about, look at marriage, we always say old love is better than new love. Like, I, 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 new love is great. I love seeing people who are newly married. And they're, you know, schmoopy, schmoopy, whatever. Love, love, love. <laughs> Fine. But yeah, after 25 years, almost 25 years of marriage, you get to the place you say, old love's better than new love. You trust each other in a different way. You understand each other. There's a depth of understanding that you didn't have when it started out. And God can do things with you and through you that he couldn't have done long before that. But you gotta, you gotta embrace that, otherwise it's gonna become an obstacle and all you're gonna be thinking about is how I wanna do this or that or I wish it was that way or this way. You gotta be open to God calling you to the unfamiliar place. I think about our, some of our global outreach missionaries who God did this with. Yesterday, some of us were on a call with Don Butera, who is a missionary, uh, one of our global outreach partners, and Don and Carol pastored and planted churches in Rhode Island. They planted several churches. In his midlife, he was pastoring a church that would, by all the metrics, would be considered a successful church. He could have stayed and lived out his days pastoring that church in Rhode Island. But somewhere in midlife, I don't know if it was his 40s or maybe a little later, God said to Don, leave Rhode Island, the place you've known, the place where your family is, the place where you're comfortable. Leave here and go to Indonesia. And go tell people in Indonesia about Jesus. And Don went. And God took Don and he took his church planting skills and he took Carol, who was a, who was a delivery nurse, and took her skills and she had to leave her job and they went out there and God is using them. Yesterday we heard these wonderful reports that he's going to islands that have never heard about Jesus. He's building relationships by taking them food. They're opening up to listening and to hearing about Jesus and reading the Bible and because in midlife, God said, I want you to move. I want you to go. And Don and Carol went. I think about Chris and Cindy Stuckey, who Chris was running a successful chiropractic service on the North Shore of Massachusetts. And God told them right around midlife, God said, I want you to close and sell your practice and sell everything you have and go to an island off the coast of Africa and tell them about Jesus. And Chris and Cindy went. And God may be calling you in midlife to go to a place that's different. Now, I don't think Don and Carol or Chris and Cindy could have done that right out of college. They didn't have the skills. They didn't have the experience. They didn't have, but at that point in life, they had what they needed for God to call them to that place. Don't think just because things haven't worked out the way you wanted, or maybe you didn't end up the place you wanted, that God doesn't have a plan, God's not in control, that God's not directing you, and he might call you to an unfamiliar place to go. Faith goes without knowing. Faith goes before it knows. Let me just, let me just I don't want to leave out our seniors. Let me move on to the end. 
right? Later in life, I don't call it the end. <laughs> Did I just call it the end? Look, there's an end for all of us. I don't want to break it to you. Let's call it to the later. We're moving a little later, right? You're older. Let me, let me move on to our seniors because there's different obstacles there. Your working years perhaps are over. Maybe you're working a little more to, to earn a little bit money, but your main job maybe is over, and maybe you feel like your purpose was really connected to that. And what's your purpose now? You're not dead, but sometimes you think people think you are. They forget about you. They don't call. They don't check. Like when you had a job, they were, people needed you. People were worried about it. People wanted to know where you are. And all of a sudden, no one's checking or no one, no one knows where you are. You could do anything you want. And sometimes that feels like a loss of purpose. They used to be asking you for help. Now they're offering help. And you realize they think you're old. First, you thought they were being nice. No one really thinks they're old. That's one thing I've learned as a pastor. No one thinks they're old. I have talked to 80-year-olds that talk about the old people in the church. I'm just like, okay, let's talk about the old people in the church. They're obviously not including themselves in this category. And that's fine. As I get older, I'm like, that's fine. That's not that old. But you face different obstacles to going from the familiar to the unfamiliar. Could be that you're retired and you don't have to work. You could be tempted towards just relaxing and playing out the string. Say, my work for God is done. Following the Lord and ministry is a young person's game. You might close yourself off to hearing God's voice that wants to move you to an unfamiliar place. It could be that bitterness creeps into your life and your heart. No one's asking your opinion, but you're going to give it anyways, and you have a propensity towards criticism, which is not a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. But you might become bitter. Your body doesn't work the way it used to, and it hurts all the time, and you have more doctor appointments than you can keep straight, and you might get bitter about it. And in that bitterness... Not be open to God moving you to an unfamiliar place or calling you out to do something different. Or maybe it's just despair. What can God do with me? I don't know how to, I don't know what a TikTok video is. James is up here doing TikTok dances a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what a computer is. Maybe, I don't know how to run a computer. Maybe, who knows what it is? You're saying, I can't talk their language. How? God can't use me. I love what Gordon McDonald I heard say a few years ago when I was listening to him. He, Gordon McDonald was a pastor at Grace Chapel for many years in Lexington. And he said, I'm working on becoming an old person that younger people will find interesting. It's awfully easy to become unlovable as an older person because there are so many things that are pointing you towards being ungracious. Working on becoming an older person that younger people will find interesting. You've got a story. We sang a song about testimony. You've got a testimony. What, how can you tell your story in a way that younger people will find it interesting? And there's some younger people in here that need to go to some of the older people and say, I need to hear your story. Let me come over. Let's get a cup of coffee. Let's eat a Cane's donut together. And let me hear your story. Let me hear what God's done in your life. 
But if you're older, we just sang a song that had the line that said, if I'm not dead, then God's not done. Don't say we don't sing songs for senior citizens. That's a song. <laughs> if, if I'm not dead, God's not done. Still at work. Still at work. Still has a plan for your life. Not only is still sanctifying you and making you more like Jesus, but still has work for you to do. Maybe has people to talk, you to talk to that no young person could talk to work to do now that, with you, that maybe you have time that you didn't have time before to do that no one else can do. It's often the seniors that are doing so much work in the church that nobody hears about and nobody sees. They're visiting people. They're sending more notes to people in the church than I think anyone else. They're making more meals for people in the church than anyone else. And if I had to bet on it, they're praying more for the church than anyone else. God may be calling you from your familiar place to an unfamiliar place. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back as we just close our service out and prepare to respond. And just ask, what is, where is God calling you? Are you in this familiar place? And where is God calling you to an unfamiliar place? Maybe it's a small step. Maybe it's, would you walk across the street and talk to that person who you've been putting off getting in relationships with and talking to? Or maybe it's leave Rhode Island and go to Indonesia. I don't know. I just know God's never done calling us to places that may be unfamiliar and uncomfortable. I know God's never, the walk of faith is constantly a dance of God asking and us going. It's a walk of faith. Let me close with this one story I heard this week because I, I love this story, just exhibiting faith. I was having lunch with Pastor Dave, this guy named Davey, and he pastors a church in Boston, a wonderful church, just hearing about all that God did, Restoration City Church in Dorchester and Roxbury. And I was just talking to him and listening to what God's been doing through him and how God uses them in the city and how the city calls them and asks them for, you know, you know, for help and asks them for advice. And, and he, he's telling me one day, he said he got a call while he was there at the church and one of the school personnel said, um, you know, pastor, do you have any duffel bags? We need some duffel bags for the students. And they called them because every year at the beginning of the school year, their church provides backpacks for every student going back to school full of school supplies. And he said, well, we got tons of backpacks. Like I got hundreds of backpacks and hundreds of, you know, book bags and things like that. Well, you know, can you use those? And she said, no, I need duffel bags. And he said, well, won't a backpack work? And she said, no, I really need duffel bags. And he said, well, what do you need a duffel bag for? She said, well, there's several students that come to school and they don't have a place to live and they leave the shelter in the morning and they have to take all their stuff with them because it'll get stolen or they have to take it all. So they put it in a duffel bag and they come to school with all their stuff and they really need a duffel bag to carry all their stuff. And so Pastor Davey, in that moment, he did what you would do, I, I think, I hope, and what I would do. And he said, I'll get you duffel bags. But it was a step of faith. He didn't know where he was going to get duffel bags. He said, we don't have a lot of money. We didn't have any duffel bags. You know, we didn't, but something like that comes up. You're going to trust, you know, God's going to provide. 
You take a step of faith into an unfamiliar place. Half hour later, gets off the phone. Half hour later, he gets a phone call. Gets a phone call from a lady who does not attend the church. He's not a Christian, who's not a Jesus follower, but knows the work of, of this church and organization. And it says, Pastor, any chance you can use some duffel bags? Because I got a whole bunch of duffel bags. I work for Hewlett Packard. We have a a whole storage room full of duffel bags that we need to get rid of. Can you use them for anything? And of course, he said, yeah, I'm going to use your duffel bags. I'm going to, I'll come get them. And she said, no, 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 you don't have to come get them. Uh, I'm, I got them on a truck. We're gonna, we'll bring them down to your nonprofit. We're going to bring them down. We're going to unload them there. He comes down. She unloads. He goes, runs down there. They, they come with the truck. They start unloaded boxes of boxes of hundreds of duffel bags. They're duffel bags that had these beautiful pictures that kids had drawn on the side of them. They had a blanket and a pillow in them. And I, I said, to, I'm like, why does Hewlett Packard have duffel bags with blankets and pillows? He said, I don't know. I forgot to ask. I was just unloading duff. I was just unloading duffel bags. I didn't care where they came from or what they were for. He was able to give this to the schools. And I just tell you that story because this is the walk of faith. Yeah, we'll get you double. I don't know where they're going to come from, but God's going to provide. I don't, know how, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to trust that God's going to be at work. And there's going to be places where God's calling you. Faith goes before it knows. To so just walk, will you trust him? Will you trust him? One last thing about this story that I think is important. Abram didn't go looking for God. God went looking for Abraham. And he said, will you follow me? And it's the same invitation God's given you today. God's looking for you. And he's just asking, will you follow me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Lord, we love the familiar. God, we love the comfortable. Oh, it's so hard for us to leave that, Lord. It's so hard for us to step away from that. We get so comfortable. We get so familiar with it that sometimes we even fail to hear your voice. So, Lord, help us. Help us to be a people that will be a people of faith that will go even when we don't know simply because we hear your voice calling. Wherever that is, whatever you're calling us to do, to stop doing, wherever you're calling us to trust, let us be a people of faith to hear your voice and then obey it for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.